Lord, may these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Well, uh, you know, it's obviously a different feeling this Sunday than last Sunday. Let's just name it. I mean, even the sky reflects it. It's, it's dark. It's rainy. I thought Easter happened. Last Sunday, it was sunny. It was 70 degrees. We were sitting outside. We were singing out loud. It's kind of a letdown this week. But you know what? The reality is, in the historic church, Easter is not a day. It's not a single day. It's a 50-day season. Not to be outdone by Lent, and it's 40 days of repentance and contemplating the cross. Easter says, no, I'm 50 days, not of fasting, but of feasting. And so we must know as the church that this is that central piece. The resurrection is who we are. We are a resurrected people. So as a church, we'll be spending the rest of April, not the full 50 days in this Eastertide series, but the rest of April, these next three Sundays, we will be centering our hearts and minds on the resurrected Jesus, uh, particularly as portrayed in the Gospel of Luke and in the last chapter, chapter 24. So we'll work our way each Sunday slowly through this chapter. And I encourage you, this month, whether you read tons of scripture or no scripture, why don't you slowly, prayerfully, meditatively work your way through Luke chapter 24 for the rest of this month? Maybe that'll be a challenge to only read one chapter for the rest of the month, or maybe that'll seem like a lot. Maybe you haven't read any scripture, so a whole chapter seems intimidating. Just Center yourself in that truth of the way the resurrected Jesus comes to his disciples. I'm honestly really thankful that this is where I get to end my time with you as your pastor. Uh, because it's not an ending at all. It's the resurrection. It's the beginning of a new life. I'm glad to get to spend time with you there. Uh, this week in particular, uh, I've been reminiscing a lot about 2019. Um, so you heard Lorene pray, thanking God for healing. So Sarah and my son Shepard and I, we all got knocked out this week uh, pretty hard with some type of stomach flu. And so in between uh, trips to the bathroom, I was, you know, laying in bed staring at the ceiling and thinking about the past, thinking back to life before COVID. Oh, glorious. For me also, though, life before a child. In 2019, didn't have kids yet. Life before moving across the country three times in a year. Life before leaving New York. And there are days when 
I just want to go back to how it was. I just want to go back to how it was. I want to go back before all the disruption, before all the change, before the disorientation of this last year or 18 months. And to be honest, I feel like like one of the Israelites. Um, if you know the story of Israel, they get rescued from Egypt. And what happens is they go through the wilderness. It's this long journey. And early on, they sort of say, you know what? I wish we could just go back. I wish we could just go back to slavery because at least we knew where our meals were coming from. At least we knew the work we had to do. We knew what a regular day looked like. Can't we just go back? And, and that's how I feel sometimes, if I'm honest. That's the longing. I want to go back to the way things were. Even though I know that God was inviting Sarah and I into something new, I still want to go back. It's familiar. It's safe. I understand how it works there. And look, I know I'm not alone in this desire, especially not as it relates to COVID, right? I mean, for over a year now, we've heard lots of people dream and long for that time, quote, when everything goes back to normal again, unquote. Isn't that what we all want? We want the pandemic to end and normal life to return. We want the pews filled, the masks off, the singing loud, the fellowship. Well, in the spiritual journey, back is not an option. And normal is never the goal. There's an Old Testament scholar named Walter Brueggemann, and he sees this rhythm of spirituality in the Psalms, in the book of Psalms, kind of smack dab in the middle of your Bible if you're unfamiliar. It's, it's really the, the only worship book that we have in the scriptures, the Psalms. And uh, Brueggemann sees this rhythm, and it's, it's quite simple, really. It goes like this, orientation, disorientation, and then reorientation. And you can divide the Psalms up, to, up into those three categories. Orientation, disorientation, and then reorientation. So first is a place of orientation. This is where everything makes sense in our lives. This is the familiar day-to-day -day life we have become accustomed to. Right? It's comfortable, it's reliable, it's predictable. You kind of know how your day is going to look. And in terms of our current day, this would probably be most of us pre-pandemic. Right? And maybe some of you still find yourself there in this place of orientation. So identify, are, are you in orientation right now? Second is a place of disorientation. This is where it feels like we've sunk into a pit. This happens when our world collapses around us and we feel that there's no way out of the deep hole into which we've sunk. Life as we know it has changed in some way. Perhaps we've experienced loss, 
death, a change in circumstances, health, finances. Life feels unsettling, scary, and unpredictable. Disorientation often brings emotional pain and suffering. Another word for this, you might, you might call it liminal space, if you like. It's a place of transition, of waiting, and not knowing. One author says, this is where we are betwixt and between the familiar and the completely unknown. Our old world of orientation is left behind while we're not yet sure of the new existence, of the reorientation. This is the interim time. This is the messy middle. This is the place most of the world finds itself right now. And I know that many of you find yourselves there right now as well. All right? We've left the old way of life as a result of the pandemic or grad school coming to an end or any number of other reasons, and we're not sure how long this season of disorientation will last, where we are going, or what life will look like on the other side. So you have orientation, disorientation, and this third place is the new orientation or reorientation in which we realize that God has lifted us out of the pit and we are now in a new place full of gratitude and awareness of God. We've moved out of the unfamiliar into a welcome place. Psalm 18 says it like this. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. We accept the new normal and understand that it is God who has brought us here. And if you're in this category today, praise God for his faithfulness. It's amazing. But know this, you will go through disorientation again. This isn't a one-time sort of thing. It's cyclical in the spiritual life. Why? Because the path of spiritual growth is long and slow, and never-ending in this lifetime. And rather than dreadful, I hope that sounds exciting. So with this cyclical rhythm of the spiritual life that's, again, mirrored in the Psalms, we don't have time to go into how the different categories of Psalms fit into those, but it's in the Psalms, it's in the history of Israel. Again, they're oriented to being slaves in Egypt, they're in this period of disorientation in the wilderness, and then their new or reorientation is in the promised land. So this is really the rhythm of Scripture as well. Let's look at Luke 24. It begins like this. I'll be reading from the, the NIV. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. So some some context, since we're beginning in this last chapter. So after Jesus died, Joseph of Arimathea wrapped his body in linen and placed it in a tomb in the side of a rock. Okay, Essentially a small cave is where Jesus is placed. And in the end of Luke chapter 23, it says, The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph 
and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes, but they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. So the women see Joseph put this body, Jesus, in the tomb. It's Sabbath, so they go home, they rest, and then they prepare a way to grieve Jesus' death, to grieve his death in a healthy way. Now these women had become oriented to the truth of Jesus as their Messiah. These were disciples, followers of Jesus. And their life, their orientation was that he's the Messiah. Somehow this man is going to save Israel. And then on the cross, they see their entire source of meaning suffocated and dead. So now, in sheer disorientation, they cling to anything that will give some meaning, some outlet for this deep grief and confusion in their hearts. They see that Jesus is dead and his body is wrapped in linen in a tomb. So to come to terms with this truth, they decide to again grieve properly. And as a way to grieve properly, they want to give honor and respect to the dead. So they go to the tomb to perfume his body. Then verse 2, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. We read this and it's exciting. But can you imagine coming to terms with the death of a loved one, hoping to go mourn, grieve and honor them, only to find their body missing? This is like adding a blindfold to someone who's already walking around in the dark. It's so dis- it's disorienting to the disorientation even. It's impossible to find a way. And this really is what happens in our seasons of disorientation. It's sort of right when we feel like we're starting to find some stable ground again, get our bearings a little bit, It's like the carpet gets ripped out from under us again. This can feel like cruelty, but it's grace. Verse 4. While they were wondering, or while they were perplexed, or confused, or bewildered, or disoriented about this, Suddenly, two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. The first words the angels offer aren't exactly comforting. I mean, they're a bit of a critique. Why do you look for the living among the dead? In other words, why are you trying to go backwards? Oftentimes, in our disorientation, we try to cling to anything that will, of course, orient us, give us a way to find some stability again. So any of the old comforts or habits you know, that used to soothe us, they'll do. We end up looking like eight-year-olds sucking our thumbs. 
It used to comfort us. Won't it still work? To avoid disorientation, we look for ways to numb, to escape, and to keep the suffering at bay. But unfortunately, if we do this indefinitely, we not only keep the pain at a distance, but God as well. So the angels say to these women, who are certainly doing the best they know how to do, to grieve properly, to go to the tomb, why are you looking for the living among the dead? And then the angels offer Christ's very own reorienting words into the women's disorientation. The next verse, remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified on the third day, and be raised again. And then they remembered his words. Now when Eve was alone in the garden, with Adam nowhere to be found, all hell breaks loose. In the garden, the deceiver comes in in the form of a serpent and bends Eve's heart towards a lie. And in her disbelief, she reaches for that which is forbidden. And in the empty tomb, where none of the male disciples can be found, heaven breaks in. Angels come to remind these women of the truth Jesus spoke to them, and they believe. And their response is to give this message. Verse 9, when they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. These women some of which are now named for us, have been quickly reoriented to the reality of a resurrected Jesus. And so in boldness, they approach the apostles with their story. Verse 11, But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Like nonsense. So Luke is the writer of this gospel. Luke tells us that he's a physician, a trained physician. And so it makes sense that the word he uses here for nonsense is uh, liros. It's technical vocabulary of medicine in the ancient Greek world, where it denotes the delirium caused by high fever. So that's what the apostles say to these women. It sounds like you have a fever and you're crazy. The apostles thought these women were out of their mind, right? I mean, this doesn't paint these men that well, right? Now, their response to women, it actually isn't culturally out of the ordinary for 2,000 years ago. But I do want to say this. I don't want to belabor the point, but I do want to say this. What we have to repent of is that this response actually isn't that culturally out of the ordinary today either. So, as a man, 
Here is my plea to men. Believe the stories of women. Honor women. Respect women. Learn from women. In Jesus' day, most of women's testimonies weren't considered valid in court. And there was this general distrust and a lesser view of women. They're, they're literally less human than men back then. And yet, God makes them the first witnesses of the resurrection. What in the world is God thinking? The first evangelists of the Easter message wouldn't even be believed in court. The ESV, as Lorene read today, translates that word liros as idle tale. It's an idle tale that these women are telling of the resurrection. That's what the resurrection sounded like to the apostles. Now, look, these men are cynical because they're grieving, right? They have no categories for interpreting this story. The women themselves were confused by this until divine intervention, divine communication from angels came to them. In my worst days, I received the Easter story like these men. It's an idle tale. What about you? Every time I read another story of violence, another racist hate crime, another shooting, another terrorist attack, the Easter message begins to sound like another idle tale. And when I experience death or sorrow or losses in my life, the good news of Easter sounds like an idle tale. When the craziness of the world becomes the norm, it's just business as usual, the Easter message sounds a lot like an idle tale. I think you probably understand what I'm talking about. There's so much about our world and our circumstances that would have us believe and lead us to conclude that the Easter story is about an idle tale. I mean, these women can't be telling the truth. Resurrection is simply too disorienting. I mean, I'm finally just coming to terms with this man's death. If Jesus is raised from the dead, then everything changes again. I have to find my bearings again. Nope. Cynicism is easier. I mean, materialism may not be the most hopeful view of the world, but if what we see is all there is, at least I can manage. I know how to live if that's the reality. I'd rather sit comfortable at the table of disbelief than stand and walk into the foggy, unknown, disorienting possibility of new life. Verse 12. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, 
And he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Peter will not sit idly by when the possibility of resurrection is at hand. He runs to the empty tomb. And for right now, Peter stays in disorientation. That's where our text ends today. No angel comes to meet Peter at the tomb. You know what he gets? Strips of linen. And this actually is good news for us. This is very good news for us because I'd venture to guess most of us are here also. Resurrection, as good of news as it is, it is not immediate reorientation for us. I mean, just because Easter Sunday showed up, it doesn't mean all our circumstances and difficulties change. If you don't believe me, look around. Look around your home. Look around the church right now. This doesn't look like last Sunday, does it? I mean, we are in the midst of so much disorientation right now. Not simply COVID-19. Not simply all the racial unrest or hate crimes. Not only the lack of economic equilibrium in our world right now. But also big life transitions, right? Ones that we prayed about. There's new children being born. Born. Graduation is happening. Things like tumors and cancers and car accidents and pains in marriages and children hospitalized and miscarriages and infertility and wayward children. The list goes on and on. And look, I get it. We don't like to be uncomfortable. I don't want to be uncomfortable. I don't want to still be in this season of disorientation. I don't like when life gets disrupted. I don't like change. I don't enjoy pain or suffering. And I'm sure you don't either. If we're honest, most of us would prefer to skip the place of disorientation. Can't we just go from A to C? Can't we just hop over it? Please. I mean, that's what I naively thought would happen in my life back in 2019. Sarah and I spent a couple of years discerning, should we leave? Should we leave New York? And it felt like God was putting this unrest in our souls and desires for something new. And so I thought, okay, it's going to be hard, but we're going to leave. We're going to go from orientation, all that we know in New York, our, our jobs, our friends, our situation, to a new orientation in California, a reorientation. Sure, there'll be some learning, a learning curve, but it'll be pretty good. And it's not like I could have identified this back then, but that's what I thought. I thought we could go from A to C and avoid B. Well, thank God that I was wrong because it's in the disorientation, in that liminal space 
that all spiritual transformation actually takes place. So if you are there, God is doing something. If you are disoriented, and it seems you cannot find God, he has certainly found you, and he is working in your life. Now, as the sort of disorientation sunk in in my life, I felt like God was asking me, Matt, do you actually want to become more like Jesus, or did you just want something new? Were you just bored, or were you hungry for more of God? And um, I felt like if I said, I want more of Jesus, the answer was then, expect to be disoriented. When it seems like there's nothing stable or familiar to reach for, Christ will be sufficient. Always remember this as well. Reorientation is not a place we arrive on our own. It's not an accomplishment, something we can force, control, or make happen. It's pure gift. It's God's grace. In the deorienting seasons, we must learn to release our hold on expectations and trust God with it all, believing that he has a plan for our future. I'm reminded of Isaiah 43, part of which we just sang before the scriptures were read. There's some powerful promises for the disoriented in these words. This is verses 1 through 5. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, in other words, when it seems like you're sinking and disoriented, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, or when there's nothing but chaos around, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, or when the heat is starting to become dizzying and the flames are terrifying, when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba in your stead. Since you are precious and honored in my sight, and because I love you, I will give people in exchange for you, nations in exchange for your life. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. And then if you continue to read in verse 18 and 19, forget the former things. You cannot go backwards. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness in the disorientation and streams in the wasteland. 
Friends, our lives are held in God's hands. And as we learn to be honest with God, as we learn to embrace change and wait upon him, as we let go of our expectations of what life should look like on the other side, we will gradually move into the new and always better place God has for us. And trust me, it will be worth it. It will be worth it. The reorientation is always a place of deeper and truer union with Christ, of greater freedom from sin, of sweeter contentment in all things, of joy unspeakable. Still, some of us today are standing here with nothing but strips of linen in our hands. Bewildered. God, where are you? God, what are you doing? Our current circumstances leave us disoriented like Peter. We ran to the tomb, and all we got was strips of linen. Now, perhaps Eastertide is 50 days because often the journey from disorientation, from the wilderness of Lent to the reorientation of resurrection takes some time. We need to hear the Easter message more than once a year. At least I do. So, friends, hear again this good news of Easter. The Easter message of life is found in the midst of death, not apart from it. The Easter message of hope arises from the center of our sorrows and losses, not apart from them. The Easter message of new possibilities is at the heart of the chaos, the business as usual. Not apart from it. Death is real, but is not the end. Jesus died, but is not dead. We may not see or touch Jesus, but he is alive and with us. The Holy Spirit is closer than our very breath. So inhale and exhale and remember you are never alone. Those are the truths of this day. They do not change the circumstances of our life, but they change us in the midst of those circumstances. They do not eliminate our difficulties and problems, but they see us through those difficulties and problems. You will not drown as you cross the river. And like the women in the empty tomb, we can hear the angels' words as sustaining truth to our souls wherever we find ourselves. He is not here. He has risen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.